0: Welcome to the Oil & Gas Elevate podcast. Each week, Sean McCoy and Eric Johnson share real-world case studies of businesses in oil and gas that are successfully navigating the complex environmental, social, and governance landscape. These are the stories that are driving the energy evolution.
1: A demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. Oh, in the power head innovate. Innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. Oh, in the power here to innovate.
2: Ha. Welcome to the Oil and Gas Elevate Podcast. Today we're coming to you live from Cisco. We're on a road trip. And it's not the only thing different. We got good news. We got bad news. The bad news is unfortunately our typical co-host, my partner in crime, Eric Johnson, wasn't able to make the trip, but we have a substitute instead. He's normally known for his written prose. But he's also been a guest in the very first episode. He's part of our team. He's one of our favorite people. Stephen Forster is helping us co-host this one.
3: How exciting to be here, Sean. I I just can't wait. It's going to be great.
2: Well, it was an easy touch in terms of uh, reaching out and asking you to do this as far as that goes. So we definitely appreciate you doing this and coming on this trip with us. We're here at ProFrac. We've talked about, you know, fracking is one of these things, Stephen, that Always gets people's attention. We've done a couple episodes before about the electrification of it, but we're really excited about today's because we're talking to Profrac about a hybrid model. Yeah. So this hybrid model that we're going to get ready to talk about with ProFrac is really an interesting aspect of innovation. Part of the big issue around as we go forward in the energy evolution and things of this nature is there's going to be a transition period. There's going to be a a need to go between one point to the other. So we're going to be talking to them today about their dual fuel hydraulic fracturing units. They're the largest independent hydraulic fracturing company in the United States. Very successful, very active, a lot of stuff going on. And so this is going to be a a deep dive into that story.
3: Yeah, I think it's great for us to Talk about hydraulic fracturing, you know, in this sense, because a lot of the connotation has been negative in the industry, both from a, you know, environmental perspective, as well as, you know, governments from an investor perspective, you know, after this kind of fell off a cliff at one point, you know, everybody was buying frack fleets like, like crazy and times were good. and, And then they weren't right. So how do we bring that back? And what kind of innovation will drive you know, a new model, a more sustainable model for a practice that's gotten a lot of negative press, but that's also been critical to our, you know, to the American or North American shale revolution and and to you know providing energy to the world.
2: Yep. So after we hear a word from our sponsor, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, in just a moment, we're going to be back talking to Profrac about their hybrid hydraulic fracturing units. So stay tuned.
3: Hey, Sean, a quick note
2: about our sponsor, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Through HPE's extensive activity and experience in the oil and gas industry, they have identified six key areas to enable your company to get ahead of the competition. Cloud-based consumption, advanced analytics, secure mobility solutions, physical and cybersecurity offerings, asset virtualization, and application modernization. So with that, do you want to find out more about one or all of those solutions? go to www.hpe.com forward slash engage forward slash IOT or click on the link in the show notes for more information and to download their white paper about these subjects. All right. Welcome back. So we're here with Tim Reese, who's the vice president of engineering for ProFract Services. And we also, as part of the inside segment, which we're going to do this collective synergistic aspect, he's here with us as well, is Edward Eichstetter, who's the CEO and co-founder of EKU Power Drives North America and is the co-founder of EKU Power Drives. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming.
0: Thanks for having us.
2: So, so I'd, I'd love to start out with, with Tim. Kind of help us understand this dual fuel use that you guys have done in this conversion that y'all have, have gone through, when did that start and what was kind of the reason you started?
0: So we really got on board with this in, in 2018 really before the whole ESG mandate and that focus came to the landscape of oil and gas. At that time there was a lot of flaring going on in the Permian base and a lot of wasted energy and what it also presented to us was, you know, if we could get this as a fuel source for our pumps is economically advantageous to both proforac and to our customer base. So at that time, we started investigating what solutions, what options were out there for tier four frack fleece in regards to dual fuel. There were technologies already in place for the tier two engines, but the tier fours with the higher emission standards, there wasn't really a solution out in the marketplace quite at that time. So we went, looked at a bunch of different suppliers, all kinds of different technologies, and and found a system that we felt worked good with the equipment we had. And we've been working with with our dual fuel units in the Appalachian Basin, Arklatex, Haynesville area, and the Permian Basin. And we're proud of the dual fuel opportunity and options that we present to our customers.
2: So give us a little background, kind of a basic question, but the, the different tiers. So kind of give us a one-on-one on that real quick about what makes them different.
0: So there's EPA mandates on the engines. Previously, prior to tier four, there is a tier two standard that's in regards to your NOx, SOX, just, just the emissions coming out of the tailpipe. So the tier four, and, and Edward, you can correct me if I get off base here, but I believe it is on your NOx emissions that you have to be 90%
4: reduction in emissions from a tier two. Oh, It's a bit more complicated than that, but in simple words to say, it is reducing overall emissions and then different operation states of the engineer.
2: And so the fleet were moving towards a tier four conclusively throughout everybody, right? And that's a big part of the story, is it? And so you saw this 2018 and you got started. And so give us an idea. So previously, so the kind of standard, the tier two model or the the basic standard is bringing in the diesel fuel to power gensets on site to give you that as, as the power source, right? And so this idea was to, what other source fuel
0: source can we use besides diesel? Correct, correct. Yes, yeah, the standard model, we rig our fleets in, have our pumps, and as a part of that, we have fuel trucks out there on location that are continuously filling up those are frack pumps. That's our biggest fuel consumer out there on location. So you have a lot of truck traffic with those trailers coming in and out with reloads of fuel. So you introduce a new fuel source, one like natural gas, that if there's infrastructure already in place, you have a pipeline sitting there, right there beside location. You can hook it up to a conditioning skid and. And get that gas out of state that we can start using it for consumption with our engines. And so you start displacing some of that diesel, you know, somewhere between 40 to 60% with our current operations. And that's, you know, compounds itself and reduces both our diesel consumption and also the CO2 emissions related with just driving those trucks back and forth to do those deliveries of diesel.
2: It's really about the natural gas tab. So really it's, logistics is at the core of this, right? And so in terms of getting that fuel source to those items on site and this site could be anywhere in the world or anywhere that you operate in North America. And so it really is an opportunity to kind of look over and go, wow, there's this other thing we can tap into because it's so maybe you can kind of help lay the groundwork a little bit for what y'all have seen. I know a lot of people out there are familiar with it, but kind of, kind of a basic as you're producing a well, some one of the, you know, yes, your crude, maybe your primary, but all of a sudden there's this gas, what are you going to do with it? You create infrastructure and that was kind of the catalyst to say well what if we just tap into it as it comes out versus bringing that and so can you tell us when you do something like that so you already have an existing fleet maybe kind of give us an idea of how big that fleet is and then the engineering which you're very obviously very familiar with like in that starting point what was it like to kind of go through okay how do I not only figure out what to do because you're converting things but then the implementation of that from like a, a manufacturing or just a, a logistics process internal company. Can you talk a little bit about that transition, what that was like.
0: Yeah. So we have a 20 fleets roughly associated with our frack fleets. It can vary depending upon basins, your pressures, your rates. And the goal is to get those 20 pumps installed with a gas train on it. That gas train brings in the natural gas source. There you have sensors, valving regulators that move as it can substitute more gas the valve opens more allows more gas to go in your diesel fuel it starts cutting itself back and as you play around with the amount of engine load that you're working with you can kind of fine-tune tweak and customize your maximum substitution that you can get prior to that you have your piping that goes to each one of your pumps. And all that piping is connected back at a conditioning skid. And there, that is where the fuel gas is coming in. You're getting it water knocked out of it, any of your liquid hydrocarbons out, having your pressure set to the pressure specifications of your dual fuel train. And that's that's basically a system that gets it from start to finish into the pumps. And over that time, we, we just try to optimize and get as much natural gas substitution is possible to keep lowering and lowering and lowering that diesel consumption on location. And so how's that?
2: It seems like a simple process. Oh, we just tap into this line and you know, it'll it'll go back and forth. And so can you help us understand a little bit about, I think this may be where, where Edward might be able to come in is, managing that process of those between those, going between those two aspects and then what that means and maybe some of the costs associated with that. Cause, cause the other element is obviously we talked from an ESG perspective, this applies the softball. Here's the CO2 emissions. Oh, that's great. And so we want to give credence to that, but there's also an economic element. There's a return element. There's like, this is actually helping us become more profitable, more sustainable, that kind of thing. Can y'all talk a little bit about maybe how that works in terms of managing those operations and how that has helped your bottom line?
0: Yeah. So, Prior to us heading out to that location or to that job site nearby, where we're going to get that gas source from, our customer will provide us with a gas analysis. So beforehand, we already have an idea of what the BTU content is of that gas, what what the water looks like. Just so so we know if we do need to do some treatment, what we need to treat and make sure we're within the thresholds that we require for our gas line for our dual fuel equipment on location
2: it's so edward this may be a good place to kind of come in and kind of help us understand you know a little bit what eku does and how you help whether it's through operations or maintenance or different things and how data software and all that stuff plays a role
4: yeah well EKU's flagship product is as, as an idle management system and profile is our bigger customer in that perspective and during idle. Also, the substitution is zero. So, in a way, we do help in the diesel displacement. Uh, There are two ways of seeing always the dual-fuel system. One is how much gas you're substituting and how much diesel you're displacing. And that's where we help the most. Uh, Profex shuts down their whole powertrain between the stages. And that is fully automated by our product. And by doing that, they are not consuming diesel or natural gas. And during non-pumping time, that's the way we kind of classify that when they are pumping; it's high loads. The engines are really requiring to do their work, and that's where the, actually those substitutions come in. Yeah? And the other side, you know, we help them. They are not pumping, and we also help them to kind of find what it's called in the industry yeah, a sweet spot or for this substitution. Yeah? An engine is a very complex system and depends of multiple, multiple things. And and when you're starting to mix natural gas. Into a diesel engine, then to find that that place where you can displace the most diesel is it's very difficult. And that's where we play in with data, with data analysis, we do a lot of that to support Profex operations.
3: Yeah, I would be I would think that when you look at this, you know, this idle management system, not only would you see a benefit from you know a consumption standpoint in that you know, this is like a car when you're at the stoplight, right? And it mm-hmm. has this and, and it turns off briefly, so you save a little gasoline. But I would also think that you would be improving kind of the maintenance maybe. Is that Would that be a stretch of the equipment if you extrapolate out? You know, I don't know the timing, but if it was idle for a certain amount of time, for example, every stage, mm-hmm. and you multiply that out across all the stages, across different operations everywhere, and you could do some kind of calculation but I would feel like the amount of time that it would be off would be substantial enough to say, you know, it ran X hours less than it would have without this system, which is basically allowing you to extend the timeframe between maintenance
4: periods, for example. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail there. I mean, yes, the fuel side of it, it's very important. And also from the environment perspective also, I mean, an exhaust system, Works very well at high temperatures, so when it's under load, it's actually when it's working very well. So when you aren't having any load, your emissions are different. But nowadays, many times it's just simplified by you know the amount of fuel that it consumes. And so it's, on that side, it's very important, I think. And on the maintenance side, I explained it very simple as you have an asset, and that asset usually you buy it and can do let's say 10,000 pump hours. And it's life And another 10,000 hours is just idle. Yeah? It's between 5 to 10. Depends on the maintenance and all of that. Yeah, But that same asset is now doing 14,000, 15,000 pumping hours instead of 10. So you're getting a huge higher value of that existing asset. Just by not using it in non-productive times. And then that has a big advantage. Yeah? And yeah. So it's to kind of extend your time overhaul, you extend the time between your maintenance intervals, even that we don't, we just are just focusing that every engine hour is a productive hour or is a pumping hour.
2: And so by doing so, you can qualify, like you're saying, the operational life, how long that's going to be, and then you can kind of start to maximize that. So in terms of those data sets and improvements going forward, it seems like this is obviously a, a step a when you guys have done well and, and you started to convert your fleet and, and you've, can you give us an idea of how much your fleet is converted this way? Is the plan to convert all the fleet to being dual source tier four, or is it relative to customers? or Is there still need for the old style, or is there? Or how's that working right now in terms of going forward?
0: The drive definitely is more tier four or tier four dual fuel. You're seeing less and less demand for the tier two. That's just you know customer driven by the stakeholders of our customers. You know they they for their funding. They they want to see them utilize ESG type technologies and solutions for their oil and gas operations. So as we go forward, we're that's that's going to be the mantra that that, you know, over time we slowly move ourselves into a position where, you know, we we have the solutions that meet their ESG needs. Because every operator has their own unique needs that need to be covered. And for each one, there's going to be a solution that works for them.
2: And so around ESG, we were talking that everybody gets, that's kind of the buzzword, it's the thing everybody talks about. And we were alluding to the fact that y'all were doing this before that was a thing. But as we also talked about earlier, this also seems to make sense. Like it's not It's not a, well, I guess I need to do this to kind of check a box. Like you're seeing things actually improve. And so so with that, so is ESG a, is it a positive thing? Is it a beneficial thing that you've seen?
0: Yeah, when you're dealing with a tier four dual fuel that has, there's savings to be captured for both sides. You know, there's there's the substitution of a lower cost energy source for a higher cost energy source. There's a reduction of CO2 emissions. Processes like Edwards allow us to utilize more useful life. So it's a win-win there where there is some financial incentive for us to go down this pathway.
2: Can you talk a little about we? from both of y'all, in terms of, so what does this mean for job creation? What does this mean for growth of a company like Profrec? I mean, there, sometimes the first knee-jerk can be, oh, well, you're getting rid of all these trucks and so all these people are without jobs or or we're automating something and so it's we're going to lose jobs. Can you tell us what this has created in terms of opportunities within within Profrec and, and within EKU as well?
4: Well, there is a lot of opportunities because there's a lot of data too. Yeah, So all this data coming in it requires also people behind it. It's not like there is a supercomputer there and does that and you, you have to teach the computers and so on the IT side we are growing a lot since you know two years ago I think our kind of IT department or more network group has doubled yeah that is showing that there is a lot of of work in that direction yeah and yeah I mean it's like everything in, in life some things go away and some others come in and that's kind of where where we need to work around them. Yeah?
0: Yeah, I'd say on our side, I talked about items like conditioning skids, the pipelining of the hosings going to our pumps. These are all components that aren't typically or didn't used to be typical on a location that, that will have to be built, maintained, ran. On our side, you know, as we keep looking at ESG solutions and emission solutions, we're going to need teams on, on the development and the engineering side to make sure we're picking the right right choices that that maximize the best emissions impact for our customer base.
3: And a question I would have that's not really related to hiring or employment necessarily, but just to adoption. You know, I feel like a lot of times when, you know, when we talk about these kind of cool new things, right? And it's very much this sounds amazing. And you know, <laughs> why doesn't everybody have this thing? That would be my question would be based on the clear, kind of tangible ESG benefit potential cost savings. You have the idle management from EKU, which is going to allow you to lose, you know, use the equipment longer and, and save, you know, money, maybe more on kind of a preventive or predictive model instead of just, you know, do the maintenance every so often. You can actually do it more intelligently. Why wouldn't someone use this? What is the barrier maybe to adoption or what, you know, what needs to be overcome with, operators who aren't putting this you know what if you had to talk to them and and they said well no we don't really want this what would be the way why would they say that why wouldn't this just be the clear option for example you said some still use tier four or tier two which are just basically lower grade or or you know inferior versus these better ones that are much more environmentally you know sustainable
0: so what would what would that kind of look like so With the tier four dual fuel, you know, if we happen to be working for a customer who is, let's say, new to a basin, just getting started out, well, they're not going to have the infrastructure in place to have you, the gas to supply to you. Other ones could run into where the makeup of their gas or the overall hydrocarbons coming out of the ground may need a level of treatment that, you know, if they're not going to be a dedicated like customer that's going to be continuously fracking maybe they're only going to do a couple pads a year or something like that where it's not you don't have that skill skill of magnitude where you know just you know saving a dollar here and a dollar here and dollar here it really starts adding up those are kind of the areas where you know maybe they they may need to think about it you know if you if you're a larger company and and you really have a good infrastructure and things in place um, it really makes a lot of sense at that point well, and that's good to
3: hear because I'm always afraid I'm just going to hear something to the effect of the solution is more expensive than the traditional solution, so they're just not going to implement it because you know people don't want to spend money. We're capital constr, we're capital constrained, budgets are tight. You know all the normal dialogue around what's been going on in the industry for you know several years now, if not more. So at least that's reassuring that it's it's related to actual items with infrastructure with how it's implemented and how it's used and it's not just a cost concern so that means that you know especially like you said the major players they are considering the benefits of implementing things like this aside from even if it might cost more up front it's always about what comes afterwards what are the incremental savings you know how does it benefit on other areas
2: and maybe a continuation of that question once you see that adoption happen is it kinda of like is it a little bit like the old like a cell phone upgrade or something like that where once they've got that upgrade, they don't want to go back? I mean, do you see that a lot? Do you see like they're like, oh wow, this is better. This is this is a better way to do it.
0: Yeah. When it's done in such a fashion that they're able to really see the tangible benefits of what their investment or their spend is going to give them. If they don't have that visual clarity to be able to see what their savings looks like, then things can get lost in the weeds and They may not see that and go you know well i don't i don't i don't think i'm saving any money let's just go back to the old way because that's the easy way but i think as long as it's done in such a method and and you're getting the substitutions that all stakeholders were expecting from this project then i think you know you have something that that really really shows
4: how it works on the adoption side i mean when we started this company in 2014 and even before Profrac was our customer that was one of the key things to enter the market. And, and we created a product which we call SOFIA, which is to track performance. Yeah? And, and it was in, initially to track performance of the idle management system. And, and the adoption is very key because the oil and gas, it is an old industry and in a way also stubborn industry. Yeah? And for us coming you know, from Germany and saying, look, this is this new technology and how are you going to adopt this? yeah. One was you cannot change the way you operate. It needs to be the same way. And two is we need to be very good and to show how our products is performing. Yeah, And Sophia is it's growing more and more um, because a lot of our customers and then at some point ProFrag uh, help us and say, look, this is not only a tool for tracking idle management. We can use this tool for tracking ESG and look at the substitution rates or diesel displacement. We can look, you know, if trucks are coming less, if we are saving on oil changes and things like this. And all of that is kind of coming in this SOFIA platform and, and kind of giving an ESG tracking report. And I think this is so important because it's not only adoption of it and only understanding what is happening. It is also transparency. And if I'm correct, one of profit customers is even using the SOFIA platform now to see the performance of their equipment and they now understand a lot better about their equipment that they are using and subcontracting as a service how well they are performing on the hdsg side and how much effort profreq is doing in that direction yeah
2: well and that seems like such a a maturation from what we typically do right we (laughs) our industry specifically seems to be so you know we like to hold our cards very close and don't tell anybody anything and there, to some extent, so it seems like this ability to grab that data and, and share it, and then know what it is specifically, and to allow that to be out there, really does help us all at the end of the day. Because it's you can't you can't do anything with it, you can't do anything with the data itself unless you, you know, culminate it. Yep. And then, so tell us a little bit about. Okay, so you do that. What is that process like in terms of in terms of initiation? Now we have this data source and. How do you, I guess, implement that so that engineering and supply chain and management can can take advantage and use that data? Do you is it customized, customizabl?e and And then is it always evolving, kind of thing?
4: It's always evolving in a way. To to the fast answer, but you know, data is has no value until you convert it into information. Yeah, that you you have a value to it. Yeah, and that's the most difficult part uh, where. Where you need a lot of interaction with your customers, and even in this case, to your customers, customers, what are they looking for? Why are they doing this? And have those conversations, yeah. And sometimes it's not even, it's not so easy, yeah. I mean, a lot of of the data that we use to track the performance, it did exist ten years ago, but no one was actually converting into something valuable for the customers, yeah. And now we are coming to a point, yeah. I mean, we need to add new sensors, new measurement equipment to get into some other data that is actually even getting better and better and more accurate into what we are looking at. Yeah. And that's I think is key. It's a that iteration and in, in a way from the software perspective, hardware perspective, is always new upgrades. Go back, see what is happening in the field, get the feedback from the customer, even failing that, you know, that data is not accurate and come back and say, oh, no, okay, that measurement did not work. This did not work. And then go back and and say, oh, okay, now we did this process, change this in the process, we did this upgrades, and come back and narrow down the information. Yeah,
3: and I would think that this kind of goes back to what we were talking about a lot, you know, earlier in the conversation about, you know, changing workforce and, and upskilling and things like that. Where, you know, if you have a platform that's effectively a, you know, a data analysis tool or a, that aggregates data, and people can then do something with that, and you know, kind of develop some actionable insights based on what you're bringing in you need new types of employees, right? Kind of like you said that maybe on the Profrec side, you have all this new equipment and all these new things that are requiring people to learn how to build and create, you know, something tangible that they've never done before. And on the other side, you've got things like data scientists and and people that are actually needing to come in and do something with all that information you're receiving. And it also encourages like you said, your customers and, and even, you know, by extension, further down the line other customers to contribute and that way you you make sure that you get this data that you can actually do something with and that does drive value for every organization involved hmm.
2: so does data matter to engineering tim i mean it
0: just a little bit i mean doesn't just, that just it sounds like oh, yeah, maybe
2: because yeah. it, it seems like even going back i mean obviously great for history reporting obviously great for performance but then i would imagine on some level being able to to culminate some of that data turning into information that's valuable for engineering to go okay we're getting a failure at this point all the time and you can show that right there's your opportunity right yes can you talk a little bit maybe some of the things you've seen around Sophia giving you a hand and what you're doing
0: so where it's really helped our group right now is we're working on the dual fuel side to make sure that regardless of what our rate and pressure look like on a pump that we have that pump operating in such a fashion that it's as efficient as possible so we've done a lot of work and we've grabbed a lot of data points looking at the fuel consumption and natural gas displacements at a variety of different rates and pressures at various gear settings on our transmissions and various throttle settings on our engines. And what what we've got built out there is we've got a fuel consumption or emissions graph basically where we can know if we're running at a certain rate and pressure on a pump that we should be at this throttle sh- setting, this gear setting. And that provides us the most effective emissions possible given the circumstances. Right, so it's basically just trying yeah. to optimize the old way of doing things was you target a rate, you get you know all your pumps at various throttle and gear settings and, and just go here. We're trying to take an optimized approach to where you're, Assets are all trying to be as efficient as possible while they're running.
2: Yeah, nice. So as we wrap up, last question for both of y'all, kind of a 2 pronged question. Fracking always gets everybody's attention, right? So same question for both of you. The first question is, what would you want to say to the public, people out there in the world don't know a lot about oil and gas, what kind of would you want to say in regard to fracking? And then internal to our industry, what's kind of, not necessarily a myth or anything like that, but just what's a point of information around the fracking process and, and what we're doing in that area that you'd want to let the industry know?
0: So I would let everybody know, you know, we really try between us and our customer base to be as environmentally responsible as possible. We look at chemistries that are as safe as possible for the environment while also getting the function functional capacity was supposed to do downhole done at the same time. So we do take that too hard that, that we want to try to be good stewards of the environment. We have various locations throughout our districts where we have a lot of recycled water that we're pumping back down that that takes away from taking fresh water sources from from municipalities or farms or somewhere else like that and lets it stay in the system while we, we use what we had already been using.
2: And then as far as the industry, like what would you say inside the industry around fracking? Anything that you want to send message-wise?
0: I really like the direction, you know, all of us as, as a pressure pumping industry have gone. I noticed us and a lot of our peers are taking good hard looks at, at the emissions and environmental standpoints. And, you know, I, I think it behooves all of us to do
4: that.
2: Nice. Edward, what would you tell the public about fracking?
4: I mean, for me, coming from Germany, it's a completely different view. I'm going to the most kind of American <laughs> business and, and coming from Germany, it's It's interesting because fracking is a great place for innovation and that's why we we went there and it's amazing how i mean not only Profrack. i mean i I see more as a the whole industry is really looking into getting better yeah i mean one part is also the environment but also this is a source of energy for the united states and it helped a lot for the energy independency and and they do work very hard for this and they actually Get and try to find ideas, and and we got so much better over the last six years. Yeah, I mean when we came in, idle management was nothing, and we were the kind of the first ones pitching this idea. Now we have three or four competitors, which is fantastic in a way. Not it's, <laughs> it reduces sure, yeah. a little bit our sales, yeah, That's but at the same time the industry is moving in this direction, and I like that mentality. So if something works and something is good, they adopt it very fast and they go for it. Yeah, and and they have their failures and trying it, but at least they're trying, and that's I think that's the most important thing. That yeah, seems to wrap up both questions.
2: Well, guys, always goes by too fast. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Stephen. Thank for you, Sean. in.
3: Yeah, <laughs> what a ride it's been. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did great, see,
3: it was awesome. Yeah,
2: hey. All right, well, we appreciate it, Jim, like I said, and look out for Steven's written piece. It'll be coming up as well, and thank you all so much, and a special thank you to Jennifer Cannon for making all this happen from ProFrag. And with that, we will see you all next week.
1: Hey everybody! It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for June 2021. This month, we have six events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occurred two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting two events. One is online and one is in person. For our online event, we're hosting a live stream titled Deal Value Creation, M&A and ONG. This is gonna be on June the 2nd. And for our in-person event, we're relaunching our happy hours. It's been far too long since we had a good happy hour, so I'm sure plenty of you will be excited to hear that our next happy hour will be at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on June 24th. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals all while enjoying great food and drinks. We hope to see you there. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events, which are the Energy Capital Conference on June 2nd at the Omni Houston Hotel and the US Police and Fire Championships from June 10th to the 21st. The Police and Fire Championships will be hosted in multiple locations, so make sure to check out our events newsletter for more information about that. Next, we have our two online events, the first being the Post-Industrial Summit Series. This event actually started on May 4th, but it'll be ending later this month on June 22nd, so there's still plenty to see. And our second online event is the Big Data Industry Summit from June 9th to 10th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for June. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in.
2: On behalf of the Elevate podcast team, thank you so much for clicking play and bringing to life these amazing stories. We hope this elevated your perspective and serves you well as you navigate understanding ESG and the energy evolution. We are so grateful for your time and kindly ask that you rate and review the show on Apple iTunes, which is a great way to help us grow. The best way to support the work we're doing is to tell a friend about it, ask them to listen and share with others what you've learned from listening to our guests. Lastly, we want to invite you to reach out to us for any comments, suggestions, or just to connect. You can do that through my email, sean.mccoy at OGGN.com. I'd love to hear from you and what you think of our podcast. Be safe, and we look forward to bringing you another episode next week.
1: Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. Oh OGG, in the power here to innovate. Innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. Oh OGG, in the power head to innovate. Ha!